Welcome to Light Steps Live. Our mission is to open the Word of God to edify the believer and evangelize the world, that people who follow Jesus can walk in the light as He is in the light. Welcome to today's episode of Light Steps Live. We're turning our attention back to the short letter of Jude, and we're turning our attention today to verses three and four. Let me go ahead and read those for us up front. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. What a mouthful in a couple of words. In just a few words, Jude reveals his purpose for writing this letter to believers. He is very anxious about something negative, but he's desirous about something positive. And he says, basically, what I really wanted to write to you guys about was the faith we hold in common and all that that means But what I find myself needing to write to you about is the necessity of contending for the orthodox faith in Christ Jesus. And so he'd rather, and I I think we, many of us have felt this way at many times, we would, we would rather be talking about something positive, something missional, something that moves us forward, something we agree on, something we hold in common, something we all value. But many times we find ourselves having to confront things not positive, not missional, things that are holding us back from moving forward. And, you know, there there is often the desire to stay away from conflict, to stay out of confrontation. But I think we find it quite necessary sometimes. There is a a danger of immoral people slipping in and subverting the faith of people who have their eyes on Jesus, subverting the morals of people who have their eyes on Jesus. And, and granted, I think there's two kinds. I think there's, there's the sort of immorality that comes out of immaturity. Um, you know, for example, uh, and we all know the analogy, uh, very well. Any of us who spend any time around kids know that we don't have to teach them to sin. We don't have to teach them to do bad. We have to teach them to do good. Um, we've said on multiple occasions on this podcast, um, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Our nature, we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. Our nature is broken. No one has to teach us how to sin. It comes natural. I've often joked that babies are the most self-centered sinners in the world. Uh, They're always shouting about somebody doing something for them. Change me, feed me, hold me, uh, keep, you know, make me warm, cool me off. Uh, You know, we're we're born broken is my point. And um, 
I, I think that's a great illustration of immature immorality. In our brokenness, we we often just simply don't know how to do right. But there is a mature immorality too. There's a there's a person who knows better and does not do better, who has heard of high and noble things, but who reject low and and ignoble, uh, excuse me, reject a high and noble things in place of accepting ignoble, lowly things. You can find wonderful examples of this. If you were to turn to the gospel of John in chapter number one, the condemnation is that light had come and people rejected the light simply because they loved darkness. And if you were to look in Romans chapter number one, you would see that people, they they adored creation more than worshiping the creator. And it just fell into a morass of of, of sin after sin after sin, deepening sinfulness. So I I would much rather talk to you guys, talk to talk to my congregation, talk to my friends, talk to the people that we deal with in our ministry about the faith we hold in common, especially those who claim to be of the faith. I'd like to talk about the excellencies of Christ, the pursuit of fruitfulness, the the wonder and wonderfulness of holiness, the striving for a trembling in reverent worship before God. I would like to concentrate on the glorious mission of sharing the gospel with the world. We would like that, but many times we find ourselves having to contend for the faith, even though everything that needs to be done has been done for the work of faith to, to be saving and sanctifying and glorifying. We just love to concentrate on all of that stuff, but many times we find ourselves needing to contend for the faith. And I think it is one of the starkest, plainest, most needed reminders to be on guard against nominal Christianity. Right here in these Two little verses, we find a powerful uh, lot of information, a lot of warning, a powerful exhortation to us to not be nominal ourselves and not not settle for nominal Christianity in our circles of fellowship in our local church, but to strive for that sort of holiness that matches the character of God and pleases God above. Think about that. So Jude writes, and he says, if you'll allow me a paraphrase, guys, I I just really wanted to write to you guys about our common salvation, our common savior, but I find it necessary to write to you and say, watch out and get to work. Watch out and get to work. And so let's look at what this warning is. And I, I think we have to, we have to take it both, both in the sense that we're looking at a mirror, right? And we have to take it in the sense that we're looking out of a window. We have to say, am I not on guard? Am I being lethargic and apathetic in my faith? Am, am I, am I marginalizing holiness and allowing ungodly influences to be the chief voices or some voices in my life. We got, you know, often I say we need to look in the mirror rather than looking out the window. 
Sometimes I say we need to look in the mirror at ourselves and look out the window at what's going on. Here I say we look in the mirror and out the window simultaneously. So let's look at this. I, I, I think it's a it's an absolutely wonderful uh, pastoral letter. Um, it's it's a caring letter. It's a letter that's that says I would really rather talk about the the um, the good of our faith, but I have to. I have to turn the page here and just give you a a serious warning. So what is that warning? It comes to us in verse number four in very strong language. He says, certain people have crept in unnoticed. Now let's just, let's just pause and appreciate some of this language right here. Some people have crept in unnoticed. That means something sneaky peaky has been going on. Something sneaky peeky has been going on. And it's not just that someone has been sneaking, uh, uh, sneaking in. Uh, it's that, uh, someone hasn't been watching the gate too. I, I'm trying to find a gentle way to say this. It's a, it's a twofold thing. Let me illustrate it like this. Um, somebody, uh, may not like this, uh, so at least appreciate the metaphor and then ask God to give you some insight and, uh, uh, agreement with me. I know I'm stuttering, but I want to be, I want to be gentle here. Just think back to the garden. Think back to the fall of Adam and Eve. Uh, in Genesis chapter three, we, we know that the serpent is crafty. And so you, you see something sneaky going on. Someone's sneaking in, right? But someone's not on watch. And we often love to blame Eve. Oh, that Eve, she just, you know, she fell up in there with the enemy and she let the enemy trick her into such and such and, and, and I've even heard people people joke and say, uh, you know, it's all the woman's fault. Well, this is the part where I think some people might not like what I have to say, but just hang with me. If nothing else, appreciate the metaphor. I, I do think um, uh, man, men in particular, were created to be the, the head of the household. And, and let me say how I mean that in particular. It is God, if you talk about a president abusing authority, it is God who's going to deal with the abuse of presidential authority. And abuse isn't just from tyranny. Abuse can also be from apathy, okay? Not tending to the things he needs to tend to. Likewise, that authority is not about being a tyrant. So if one is a tyrant, they're going to be held accountable according to tyranny, it's also about diligence. And so if one isn't diligent, they're going to be held accountable according to apathy. Think about what I'm saying. I know somebody's not going to like me saying, do you hear that? Tim Bowes just said men are the head of the household. Okay, read through the scriptures all the way through and see if that's the way God's design thing. Then argue with me. <laughs> but... My main point here to say is, look at this illustration. The serpent is crafty, so he's doing what crafty things do. Crafty things creepy, or, you know, crafty things creep in. So he's being crafty. But also, I think we can clearly see that Adam isn't being diligent. Eve isn't being 
diligent. And when you look at how God confronts them, it's amazing what what how they respond. If you look at this in Genesis chapter number three, it's it's totally amazing to me. He, you know, he 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 confronts Eve and and Eve's basic response, she sounds like Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it, right? Um, she said, it was a serpent, it was a serpent. Confronts Adam and Adam says it was that woman. You see, he goes horizontal blame. He throws Eve under the bus. It was that woman, but he doesn't stop there, that you gave me. <laughs> if you had never gave me this woman, it would have never happened. It's interesting that God holds both of them accountable, but it's interesting that Eve immediately blames the serpent. Adam blames the woman and God, but God confronts each individual. So if you look, one of the issues with nominal Christianity is that people aren't on guard. They aren't on God and on guard, excuse me. Well, that was actually a wonderful faux pas. They aren't on God is what I said. I meant to say they aren't on guard, but they aren't on guard with God, you might say. And certain people creep in. You see this? And I think the chief issue isn't the people. It is the methodology of their actions and it is the, it is the, the ideology of their beliefs. It's what they do and what they believe. And no matter what people say, they really do what they truly believe. Like people can say, I believe X, but if they are doing Y, they really believe Y, no matter how many times they say, I believe X. Now, we're quickly running out of time today, so so let me go on. The reason I want us to talk about nominal Christianity is because, because nominal Christianity does not live on guard to the sort of people who are carriers of bad theology, uh, godless behavior, irreligious and irreverent babble, foolishness in behavior. Now, now where does it spell it out? It spells it out right here in Jude Chapter one, verse number four, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. And it goes on to tell you who these people are. All right. They are people who were long ago designated for this condemnation. Wow. That's, that's a discussion for election and, and the divine sovereignty of God. And there it is. It just shows up everywhere in scripture. Okay. And he, and then he describes them. These people who were long ago designated for condemnation. They're ungodly people. What does that mean? What does it mean that they're ungodly people? They're, they're, they're false, false teachers who do not worship God in spirit and in truth. They are void or devoid, as John MacArthur says. They're devoid of reverence. I thought that was a, a very telling phrase. They're devoid of reverence. And, and what's interesting is these sort of people will often have the language of spiritual leadership, but they will not have the lives of spiritual holiness. Hello. They'll often have the language of spiritual leadership without having the lives of spiritual holiness. They'll claim to know things and they'll speak, they'll claim to speak with authority. And many of them will even use the name of God, the name of Jesus, and they'll spout off scripture. But often it is their 
sinful behavior that reveals their ungodly character. And so one of the ways to realize who these people are is just, just what the scripture says. They pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Okay, there's two pieces here. Here's one of them. They, they say, this, this sin is okay because God's grace is big. In other words, it's people who justify things God calls sin and blame it on God's grace. Now, just look at the evening news and you'll find a lot of that. But also, there are people who ultimately deny their only master and Lord. That's Jesus Christ. That's, that's what he says in verse number four. That is, that is uh, apostasy. That is horrible. And if you don't know what apostasy means, look it up. It's a word that should be added to a believer's vocabulary. This is really rugged stuff. Basically, basically their condemnation on this element is that they view themselves as their own master. They basically say, I'm in charge. I decide what's right and wrong. Right? And when you say, I'm in charge, you deny the Lord Jesus. And when you say, I decide what's right and wrong, you pervert the truth and often they blame it on grace and they reveal an ungodly character. Now, one of my favorite books in the world is, is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And he, he has a chapter in Mere uh, Christianity called Nice People and New Men. And I think one thing that happens in American, in American Christian religious circles is that we think if someone's nice, they're okay. Okay, let me say two quick things about that. God is not interested in creating nice people. He is interested in, in creating living people, new people, people who are alive in God and embracing becoming like Jesus as they follow Jesus as master and Lord. And the second thing that me, that, that I want to say about this is that if, if God's goal for us is Christ likeness, that does not mean we have to be hateful, but it will mean we won't depart from truth. You see what I'm saying? So it's not just niceness. It's following Jesus in spirit and in truth. And that's the condemnation. Now, let me close in our last minute here. Let me close by, by, by just by sharing this idea. We started out by saying that Jude really wanted to write about the, the wonderful things they held in common, but he understands he has to write to contend for the faith. First things first, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Is your faith manifesting in holiness as approved of by God, or are you seeking happiness in the pattern of America? All right. Also look out the window. Are we in the name of being nice, not attending to the sort of things in our faith and in our faith circles and in our gatherings of the body of Christ? Are we not attending to the serious things of the faith in such a way that we allow we allow people to creep in with ideology that just goes against the word and the way of God. We need to contend for the faith. We need to contend for the faith. And it starts with us taking a look at ourselves, and it starts with us looking around and seeing where things have crept in to our circles. Thanks for listening to Life Steps Live. Thank you for joining us on Light Steps Live today. My name is Katie Bose, and the rest of our production team is Andrew Liggett, Shannon Allen, and Steve Riley. Music provided by Banjo Ben Clark. Connect with Banjo Ben at banjobenclark.com.
Tim Bowes is a pastor of East Rock Community Church and the executive director of My Life Matters, a gospel ministry with a focus on making disciples who become lifelong followers of Jesus. Discover more about My Life Matters at mylifematters.club. Thank you.